1: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 257 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. Of course, I'm a writer for Cheesehead TV and you can always follow me on Twitter at Skani Sports. Really exciting show lined up for you today. I am going to be breaking down with a very special guest, two of the top tight ends in this draft, including Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, two great tight ends from the University of Iowa. That's going to really be the main crux of the show today. Uh, But before we jump in, I want to introduce my special guest from today. Uh, My special guest is an NFL draft analyst for big board scouting and whole nine sports. He goes to Coventry High School in Coventry, Connecticut. He is all of 16 years old. He was recently found at the Senior Bowl networking with a variety of players, future scouts, scouts, coaches, etc. My guest today is Nathan Papandrea. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it.
2: No problem, Andy. I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it as well. I'm really excited to kind of jump into your story. Uh, I have kind of flashbacks of uh, me breaking down draft stuff when I was 16 years old, and uh, I I can only imagine the things that uh, you were able to kind of experience at the Senior Bowl. Uh, Very jealous of where you're at with things being only 16 years old. Uh, I think it's absolutely amazing. But before we kind of break down TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant today, Nathan, tell our listeners a, a little bit about your story and kind of your goals and how you're kind of trying to break into the industry.
2: Well, you know, I've loved football my entire life. I've been around it since I was very little. I have a whole family around football. My brother's a coach for the uh, University of Sioux Falls in South Dakota. So, you know, I look up to him in that sense. You know, I've been trying to break down football for a long time because, and I've also played too, and I realized playing doesn't last forever. So I'm trying to just figure out ways that I can sneak into the business when my playing days are over. So I realized scouting and, you know, writing articles is probably the best way I could do that. So, you know, it all started at a Google Doc that only I got to see. Uh, didn't really show anybody, just tried to practice, work on writing sentence structure. And, you know, once I realized that I might actually be getting somewhere at this, I try to just send it out to anybody who will give me the time of day. And uh, that's where we're at now.
1: No, it's a really cool story, and I think uh, a lot of people on the Pack-A-Day podcast, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, uh, can kind of flash back and think of, uh, you know, where they were breaking down players when they were 16 years old. And like I said, it certainly seems like you are way, way, way ahead of the game at this point in your career, which, like I said earlier, I'm very jealous of. So, Nathan, is your kind of ultimate goal to get into scouting? Is it you want to write about the draft? What's kind of your ultimate goal?
2: Uh, I absolutely love to be in the league as a scout. I'm up, I'm up for coaching. Uh, Obviously, because of my playing history, I'm up to writing articles for any website who will give me a chance. I'm super flexible in that sense. I just love football, and I want to be around it my entire life. So whatever really helps me get to do that, I'm super okay with.
1: Uh, that sounds good to me. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on and joining us today. I'm excited to hear your breakdown of Hawkinson and Fant. Uh, but before we do that, I know you're a Baltimore Ravens fan. Obviously, the Green Bay Packers just signed a big-time free agent in Zadarius Smith. Uh, with your kind of coverage of the Ravens and just kind of being a fan, can you kind of give our listeners a little bit of a breakdown of Zadarius Smith from a Ravens standpoint and what you think he might bring to the Packers?
2: Oh, absolutely. Zedarius is a really good player, and it obviously uh, hurt us quite a bit to lose him. You know, you're getting a. Ro- he was a rotational pass rusher for us last year. He didn't start because obviously we had Suggs and Judon, but he ended up having I think eight and a half sacks last year, which is really good for a rotational role. You know, he's a long guy, he's thick, he's a small school player, and he had a learning curve in his first two years, which didn't really get him to see the field too much. But once he got going, he's a really good football player. He's thick, he's fast, he's twitchy, and I think he's going to bring a lot to your team. And I'm really excited to see how he fits.
1: Well, I hope your scouting report is spot on because that sounds exciting. That's kind of a lot of the things that I've seen certainly on tape as well. Why do you think uh, Baltimore was kind of okay with moving on from him? Do you think it was just they didn't want to get into the bidding war? Uh, do you think it was something that they saw on tape? Or why do you think they, they were kind of comfortable moving on?
2: It's really just understanding the market because, you know, these days edge rushers have a really high value on the market. And you see guys like, you know, Trey Flowers getting $18.5 million. <laughs> You see, you know, Zedarius getting 16 and a half. You see D Ford getting like 13. You know, that market's really high. And Eric DaCosta in his introductory interview said, you know, they want to be more responsible with the cap. So I really, I feel like he just bit this one and tried to just look like future wise and, you know, worked out well for you guys. You guys got a really good football player.
1: Excellent. Well, we're certainly excited to have him. Uh, I know, like you said, he, he certainly has some quick twitch to his game. And like you mentioned, it certainly kind of took him uh, a couple of years in the league to kind of get up to where he was. And, and Green Bay certainly paid a pretty penny for what they're getting. And like you yeah. said, he was a rotational player in Baltimore. He's going to uh, be asked to carry a lot more of that load in Green Bay. So it'll be interesting to see how he transitions. But uh, as your scouting report mentioned, hopefully we got a great player. And it uh, will be somebody that uh, is going to be not only in the rotation, but being able to take a start. Starring role on the defense from here on out uh, so appreciate that breakdown so uh, again uh, one of the things I always want to get when we have a guest on that's maybe not a, a Packers fan obviously is kind of their perspective from their individual team so uh, the Packers obviously pick uh, pick 12 but they also pick pick 30 and ahead of them by about eight picks is the Ravens at pick 22 now we would prefer that you don't take any players that we want at pick 30 uh, but it. Nathan who are some players that potentially Baltimore might be targeting at pick 22 and who could Potentially be off the board for the Packers at thirty because of that.
2: Uh, well, I've been looking at the top thirty visits, and I've seen that we just met with Eric McCoy twice. I think it in the last two weeks. And interior offensive line is definitely a spot I think we could use upgrading. Uh, Alex Lewis was consistently hurt last year, and James Hurst had trouble staying on the field also. And we also have Matt Skurr on the inside who was an undrafted free agent, so we have room to upgrade there. Eric McCoy is a really good football player, so I would definitely be happy if we saw him at twenty-two. I also think a viable option would be trading back because we do not have a second round pick due to the Lamar Jackson trade. So I think trading back, whether it's into the second round or late in the first, I think that's a very viable option. Um, I'm not certain that he will be here at 22, but DK Metcalf is an option. I think he can go, go as low as 12 to you guys. Nikhil Harry is also an option. I think interior offensive line and of wide receiver are a is my biggest prediction for us at this moment because we do have two solid starters in the middle of our linebacking core with Young and Amuso, so...
1: Interesting. So, a couple of things that you brought up there that I think should be really intriguing to Packer fans. So, first of all, you brought up Eric McCoy, and I think that's uh, really interesting because that's right around the spot where, about, like, a Frank now went uh, a season ago. That's where those interior guards that aren't maybe, you know, Quentin Nelson level are going to start going in those mid to, you know, mid to early 20s. And uh, I think Eric McCoy, like you said, is a really good football player. And why I think that should matter for Green Bay is he fits perfectly in Matt LaFleur's system as a, a potential. Uh, zone stretch running game guard who can be very active and very mobile. I think he would fit very well within that system. So uh, maybe that's not a name that a lot of Packer fans are familiar with or are talking about at pick 30, but that name, if he's there at 30, wouldn't shock me. So the potential that Baltimore could take him uh, would be a potential name off the board that the Packers could be targeting. The other thing that you mentioned is a potential trade back. And why that of course could be interesting is because of course, Green Bay picks at 30. So maybe there could be a potential trade with Baltimore up to up to pick 22 from 30 and obviously Baltimore moving back. Uh, maybe Green Bay could be actually targeting one of those tight ends like Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson. Of course, the Ravens aren't really going to be uh, invested in a tight end in this draft. And that's yeah. obviously because you guys picked a couple of them a season ago, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct?
2: Yes, we did. We picked Mark Andrews in the third and Hayden Hurst in the late first.
1: Yeah. So if, if uh, maybe one of those tight ends falls to 22, Baltimore's looking to trade down. Green Bay wants to get up to get one of those tight ends. That could certainly be a spot where maybe a deal could be made. Um, and then, uh, like you said, you know, potentially uh, a top wide receiver. A lot of Packer fans have been talking about receiver at 30 or maybe more likely at 44, but that could be a, a potential where maybe one of those second tier receivers after Metcalf, like you mentioned, a Nikhil Harry or an AJ Brown could start being uh, the, you know, kind of the center of attention, especially if Baltimore does trade down. Down. So uh, Green Bay and Baltimore could certainly be interesting, either trade partners or again, Baltimore could maybe rob a player that Green Bay would be looking to take. Anyone yes, outside of Eric McCoy that that maybe would, uh, well, let me ask you this, who would be your uh, choice? If you were the, the Ravens GM right now, who would be your choice at pick 22?
2: I think interior offensive line is the way to go right now because this receiving class has a lot of depth to it. And we do have two thirds and two fourths. So I feel like if we can get a guy like Eric McCoy or Garrett Bradbury and pick 22, I feel like that would be a really good piece for our offensive line. I think that'll help Lamar Jackson and our running game take the next step forward.
1: Smart man, build that offensive line, especially in the tier year first, especially when you've got a young second year quarterback coming in and starting this early in his career. I think that's a wise move. All right, so let's kind of move to tight end a little bit now. I know obviously you're a Ravens fan, so I'm going to kind of break down just where Green Bay's at at tight end at the moment. So, of course, they have four tight ends on the roster. Uh, Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tanyan, and Evan Bayless. Those are the four currently under contract. Jimmy Graham is in the the second year of his deal. Uh, He has one year left on his contract, but uh, there was already talk that Green Bay may have wanted to release him this year. I think they're really going to want to get out of that deal next year unless he puts up massive numbers in Matt LaFleur's offense. So while he still has a year left next year, they very much would probably like to get out of that in year three. Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tanyan, and Evan Bayless, all not under contract next year. Uh, they're all playing on one-year deals this year. If they obviously make the team, Evan Bayless, of course, will not be expected to. Uh, but those are currently the the tight ends under roster. So when you start looking past this year, they don't really have anyone under roster uh, under contract. Excuse me, besides Jimmy Graham, who again they probably will want to get out of that deal. Furthermore. Uh, Jimmy Graham at this point of his career, as, as most Packer fans know, is really a glorified, bigger wide receiver. He's not that blocking tight end. He's not a complete tight end. He's more of a get in the way type of guy at tight end. He's not going to, you know, backside block anyone off the screen, like maybe someone we're going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's a glorified, bigger wide receiver at the moment. Uh, Mercedes Lewis, Basically the opposite, just a blocking tight end. He's not going to be that receiving threat and really was quite inconsistent this past season, even as a blocking tight end. Hopefully with more usage and in a new offense, uh, he's able to get kind of back in form as a, a dominant run blocking tight end, but he's not a complete tight end at this stage of his career either. And then you get to Robert Tanyan, somebody that, of course, any Packer fan will know I'm a big fan of. But you're not making any draft decisions or any really any decision at this point based off of having Robert Tanyan as a potential number three tight end on this team. And while I think he has a great opportunity to make the team and I think he could break out, he is also more of that receiving uh, tight end, a move tight end who's not going to be that dominant inline blocker either. So they don't really have a complete tight end on this team and they don't really have anyone that they probably want on the team in 2020 either. So this is a major position of need for Green Bay. And the reason that that is, is they've only drafted two tight ends since 2013. They spent a third round pick on Richard Rodgers in 2014 and a sixth round pick on Kennard Backman in 2015. So they have not spent a lot of capital. On the flip side, this is a position that over the course of the last three years, a team that has not notoriously spent a lot of money on free agency up until this year has spent a lot of money on free agent tight ends. They've been trying to fill that gap. They've signed players like Jared Cook, Lance Kendricks, Martellus Bennett, Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis. And again, that was just in the past few years. So this is a position that Green Bay really needs to address, get younger at, develop their own talent. And that's why this draft could really be so important is to find a player like that. And kind of uh, that brings us to really the top two tight end prospects in this draft. And that's the two tight ends from Iowa, including TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, six four and three quarters, almost six, five, 251 pounds, really big wing, uh, really big wingspan. Excuse me, a little bit of a smaller on the hand size. He ran a four seven forty, thirty seven and a half inch vertical, which is massive for a tight end. One hundred and twenty three inch broad jump, same thing there. A seven point zero two second three cone, again really great for a tight end, as well as the four point one eight in the shuttle and the eleven point five five in the sixty yard shuttle. Uh, Put up 17 reps on the bench press, which was kind of low and a little bit surprising, especially based off of what you see on tape and with his run blocking. But overall, a fantastic prospect athletically. And then Noah Fant, uh, 6'4, 249. He's got a really nice wingspan as well. Uh, he ran the 40 in 4.5 seconds, a 39 and inch vertical, which is in the 97th percentile, 127 inch broad jump, 95th percentile, a 6'813 cone, which is get out of here, ridiculous, a 4'22 in the short shuttle phenomenal scores throughout the entire combine. And then he put up 20 reps on the bench as well, which was actually better than Hawkinson. So two massively athletic, massively talented tight ends. Uh, Nathan, let me kick it to you. Uh, Let's start with TJ Hawkinson. What was your evaluation of TJ Hawkinson and what kind of did you see out of him?
2: Oh, you look at it like what a complete tight end prospect is. And I feel like he fits the bill. Um, You see a guy who can split out in multiple alignments as an inline player. You could see him in the slot. You could see him as an H back. And, he, you know, like you said about backside blocks earlier, this dude blocks from anywhere on the field. He drives his feet through the whistle. He gets his hands inside. And yeah, you were right about the bench press thing. It was a little bit surprising for him, but, you know, his technique in the run game really helps um, circumvent any strength issues that you may see, you know, in the slot he can stack safeties and linebackers he separates out of routes well I think when you look at like a complete tight end prospect I feel like he's the perfect fit and I feel like he fits the Packers really really well.
1: No, I totally agree with you. My kind of uh, thought on him was that he's an old school tight end in a new school body. He's got all the athletic traits that you want, but he plays that old school type of football. Um, I kind of in, in an article that I wrote for Cheesehead TV, I mentioned how I love breaking down some of the the smaller school players and the guys like Robert Tanyan who maybe don't get a lot of love. But when you watch a TJ Hawkinson and you throw on the tape, it just you don't have to be an advanced scout to to tell how good TJ Hawkinson is at football. He just jumps. Off the screen, and everything that he does, he does passionately. He, like I said, he's very athletic, and it, sometimes you have very athletic players where their athleticism doesn't necessarily jump off on tape. His absolutely translates. Um, he one of the big stats that I really loved out of him is of his forty nine receptions this past year, thirty seven of them went for first down. So just a ridiculous conversion rate. Um, I think one of the really cool things about him that's actually kind of a downside right now, but I think is going to be actually even crazier when he develops it, He's not a bad route runner by any stretch of the imagination, but he is not a refined route runner yet at this stage in his career. And he still separates pretty easily. So when he really gets that route running down to a science, he is going to be incredibly difficult to cover. And then if he does catch it, look out because he has some of those Gronk-esque plays in the open field. Well, he will just absolutely run over players. Absolutely. Did you have a, a comp for him at all? A player that kind of came to mind when you were watching him?
2: Every time I watched this tape, I thought of George Kittle.
1: Uh, did, I think you're reading my notes here, Nathan. That's the exact player. And I, I could get how maybe some people are like, well, that's kind of lazy because he, of course, also played at Iowa and blah, blah, blah. The, the the comp is really easy because it's really legitimate. Like He absolutely jumps off exactly like George Kittle um, and not George Kittle necessarily in college. A lot of the things that George Kittle was doing for the 49ers over the course of the past couple of years. So that's literally what I have down on my page as well, Nathan. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the cool things about him, too, is when you usually put tight end highlights up on on film, you don't usually get a ton of drive blocks or finishing blocks on the second or third level of the field. With TJ Hawkinson, I would say that you absolutely see some of those where he's driving players well down the field. Did you kind of notice some of that as well?
2: Yeah. in every game that I study, he had multiple knockdown blocks and he's so technically like proficient in the run game. It's actually way advanced for more tight end prospects than you see yearly. He's more technically advanced than some tackle prospects I've seen in this year's draft.
1: Nathan, you're reading my mind, man. So my next note was that literally, uh, I I had down that you'll see more finishing blocks from him than a lot of the top offensive lineman talent that you'll scout in the draft. And, And he just plays with that type of intensity. And, uh, he's just such a talented player. Any, any last thoughts on Hawkinson?
2: whatever team gets Hawkinson will get like an all pro ability year one. And I'm super excited to see what he does in his career. He has a really high ceiling.
1: Absolutely. One more question I actually have for you. So I thought while his blocking was really high impact and really impressive and really fun to watch, I did find that it was maybe a little bit inconsistent at times where uh, I think he tried almost to do a little bit too much and would kind of fall off of blocks just a little bit. I think it's not a big deal, but did you notice any of that on tape at all? Yeah, he
2: didn't finish um, some blocks that I saw on tape. And I feel like that could be also due to his littler hands and a lack of grip strength. But, you know, I think a lot of times you see with his finishing blocks, he does have really good technique and he finds ways to get around that. But I think when you see, like, I think he had nine in the one-fourth hinge hands. And I think Fan had close to 10, if I'm not mistaken. So I feel like the lack of grip strength could do him in that sense. But I think you look at a guy who's so technically refined, he finds ways to get around it for sure.
1: Yeah, you're totally right. He had all nine and a half inch hands, uh, which was in the 22nd percentile for tight ends, so definitely a little bit on the smaller side. Uh, and uh, Fant was nine and three quarters, so also a little bit smaller, but bigger than Hawkinson. So, all right, let's jump to Noah Fant. So, what were your initial thoughts on Noah Fant and some of the things that jumped off the tape to you?
2: He tested off the charts at the combine with a four or five forty at a guy of that size. He's really smooth in his routes. He's more of a refined funner, route runner than Hawkinson, excuse me, in my opinion. I think you look at a guy who's not as much of an inline blocker as Hawkinson. I feel like he's more of a split-out guy, but, you know, he's actually pretty functional on the line. You know, he gets in people's way, similar to Jimmy Graham, as you mentioned earlier. But I definitely think, you know, he's an athletic freak, and he, he's a m- mismatched nightmare for any linebackers or safeties at the next level, just due to his plus athleticism.
1: Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, if if, uh, linebackers and safeties don't give him credit off the line of scrimmage, he's just going to burn right by them, which is why they have to give him a ton of space. And then he just eats up those intermediate routes and just boxes players out and is that intermediate threat. So I just kind of have to pick their poison a little bit when they're trying to defend him. And I totally agree with you. I think as a blocker, I think he doesn't get quite the credit that he deserves because of how good Hawkinson is at blocking. But I thought Fant was while not as good and is not as impactful, I thought he was a tad bit more consistent in the fact that you kind of knew what you were going to get on every play. And like, it's not as good. I don't want to you know, put it like that. He's in the same conversation as Hawkinson, but it's certainly serviceable. And I think it's certainly something that he can do at the next level and not be a a total liability in that regards either. Uh, But yeah, a move tight end. uh, He's going to do a lot of things in the open field. I didn't think he had quite the, you know, agility or the broken tackle plays that again, Hawkinson did, but just that straight line speed. I mean, if he gets in the open field, he's gone The four 5, 40 at that size. He's like a runaway locomotive. So uh, again, easy separation, natural hands. That's the other thing that really stood out to me. Just, he, he just catches it with absolute ease. And if, if Rogers is in trouble and just needs to find a last minute target, uh, he's going to be able to hit Fanton. He, he's going to figure out a way to come down with it. And I, I should have probably said the same for Hawkinson because he has really great hands as well. Other thoughts on Fant for you?
2: Um, no. I mean, like I said, like you said earlier, I think he is a very functional blocker, and I do think Hawk shado- overshadows him in that sense. And I think he has the frame to fill out and get thicker too, so I feel like he could hold up better after like time in an NFL weight training program. So I really feel like the potential of Fant is there. I really feel like he can be a well-balanced overall tight end compared to Hawkinson once he has time in an NFL weight training program and once the coach really teaches him the run-blocking techniques that Hawk might have.
1: Totally agree. So uh, obviously we gave the comp of George Kittle for TJ Hawkinson. Did you have a comp for Noah Fant at all?
2: Part of me had Jared Cook down. I'm still working on a comp for Fant just because his plus athleticism is just really hard to find in today's league at the tight end position. But Jared Cook, you know, similar ability just to stretch the field and, you know, do a lot of different things in different spots. What about you?
1: I'm not lying. I legitimately have on my screen right now, Jared Cook comp. That's literally who I have on my screen as well. So we're hundred percent on the same page. I swear to our listeners, Nathan and I did not discuss this beforehand. Uh, this is the first time I asked him and we literally had the exact same player uh, for both of our comps. So we're definitely on the same page there. And I will say this too. I think he's, really good Jared Cook uh, is kind of what I would say. I think he's got a higher ceiling than Jared Cook, but I think he's that type of player where he's maybe not going to be you know, we kind of said that with T.J. Hawkinson, you have the ability to get an all pro tight end, uh, which I totally agree with. I think it may take a little bit more than maybe first year, but I think over time he could be at that all pro tight end. Uh, but Noah offense I don't necessarily see an all pro, but I think he could be someone that's in the year in the league for maybe you know ten, eleven years and goes to maybe four or five pro Bowls. That's kind of where I would kind of put him at.
2: Absolutely. And I also think you can get like a reliable third down option, like third and six, just a guy who will move the sticks for you. He can run a drag route over the middle and get yards after the catch. I feel like you're going to get a really good football player with a fan. He may take a little more time to develop, but I feel like when he does, he'll be a really good receiving threat for any team that drafts him.
1: 100% agree. So uh, taking a look at both Hawkinson and Fant, was there a weakness that you kind of noticed with either of them that would give you pause at all?
2: Well, I think obviously when you look at like both tight ends and when you have two of them at the top of your tight end board, I think what puts Fant behind Hawkinson for me right now is just that he's a little less of a balanced tight end than Hawkinson is because I feel like Hawkinson's more well-rounded. And I think Fant, when it comes to blocking, I feel like he needs a little more time in that area. But so I'd say that for Fant, I just think Hawkinson right now is just more well-rounded and I feel like, you know, he does have weaknesses at the top of the route and I do think Fant thrives in that area. But I think when you're looking at an overall prospect, I think right now Hawkinson is the one I would choose first. But none of them, nothing really gives me like a big red flag about either of them at, at all.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm on the same page. I think both of them are very complete tight ends, and I have no no issue with uh, with either of them being first round prospects. Nothing would give me pause to say, well, if this doesn't develop, they're going to be a bust. They're they're pretty complete already from day one coming in, and they're going to be able to help a team right away. One of the things. From a fit standpoint, and before I even go into that, I will agree with you as well. I have TJ Hawkinson ahead of Noah Fant on my board. I had Hawkinson kind of in that top fifteen-ish type range, and I think I have Noah Fant somewhere more in the twenties—you know, anywhere early to mid twenties, maybe late at the latest—is where I would kind of probably pigeonhole those two type of players. But um, I think teams are going to value them quite a bit from a fit standpoint. In Green Bay, obviously, we talked about already how Green Bay has this need for these well-rounded tight ends, that Mercedes Lewis is just a blocking tight end, Jimmy Graham's more of a glorified big receiver, both of these tight ends would be able to come in and really give you that well-rounded tight end, and they're going to be able to help from day one, give Aaron Rodgers those third down targets, as you mentioned. TJ Hawkinson, in my um, estimation, even though Mercedes Lewis has been a really good blocking tight end throughout his career, where they're at today, I think TJ Hawkinson would immediately be the best blocking tight end on the roster and I just think both would really fit in well with Green Bay. Nathan I know again you're, you're primarily a Ravens fan here but based off of your knowledge of Green Bay and, and you kind of made mention of this already that you think they'd fit in well but how do you think they'd fit in? do you think they'd be a, a you know worth a, a top 12 or a top 30 pick? Obviously the Packers pick 12. Do you think that might be a little bit too rich for either of these players or what are you kind of thinking there?
2: I've heard that Hawkinson could go as high as seven to Jacksonville in, in um, some outlets so I feel like Hawkinson could either go around that area or even a little bit lower, possibly in the late teens. But I feel like Hawkinson will go right around there. So if you guys took a pick at Hawkinson right there at 12, I don't think that would be a a reach at all. I feel like he's a guy who will come in, you know, I think LaFleur will use him well. So I feel like if you picked him there, I feel like he would thrive in that offense year one, and I really think he would do wonders for your passing game and running game. I think for Fant, too, that might be a little bit of a reach. But, you know, if you're sitting there and you're looking at him at 30, and you haven't picked Hawkinson at 12, I think he'd be too good to pass up at that spot.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with you there. And I think the thing for me, and I'm going to touch base on Hawkinson primarily here, Hawkinson at 12 is probably a little bit rich for me because uh, Green Bay has a lot of needs and tight ends probably a little bit of a luxury to take at pick 12 when hopefully Green Bay's not making a habit out of picking in the top 12 for the first yeah. in future with with Rodgers on the roster. But uh, it's probably a little rich, but I will say this for TJ Hawkinson. If you look at the main stars on this team, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, All three of those will be better because TJ Hawkinson is on the team. He's going to block for Aaron Jones. He's going to give him uh, those backside blocks that we discussed earlier. He's going to absolutely take some outside linebackers and move them to oblivion where they're completely out of the play from time to time. He is going to have a very big impact on the running game. He's going to give Aaron Rodgers that safety and security blanket over the middle. Uh, he's going to be able to make some big plays. And because teams are kind of paying attention to him over the middle, I think he's going to actually open things up a little bit for Devontae Adams as well. And if, if all of a sudden the run game is clicking because you've got another big run blocking weapon, that's going to open up things for Devontae Adams also. So while it may be a little bit of a luxury, when you talk about the best players on this team, drafting TJ Hawkinson makes those best players better.
2: Absolutely. And I also think he's quite safe too. Like, you know, when you're drafting in the top 15 and you take like a risk on these high, you know, boomer bus prospects, that have high upside, but also could have bus potential. I don't think you're getting that with Hawkinson. I think you're you're getting a really safe prospect who you'll know what you're getting from him and he can only go higher. So I feel like if you did take a reach at Hawkinson at 12, I really feel like he would do really good wonders for you year one. I think you could, uh, there's a lot of places you could go after. I feel like if DK Metcalf's there, he, can, he could be a game changer on the outside for sure. Uh, Edge rusher was mocked to you guys for a lot before you guys picked up Preston Smith and Z'Darrius Smith and free agency. So I don't feel like you go there. So I really feel like you're getting a weapon for Rogers at 12 or 30.
1: Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point there. in the fact that when you are picking in the top 12, yes, you want somebody with a really high ceiling, But you also want somebody with a really high floor. If you take a guy at pick 12 and they bust, that can set the franchise back you know, immeasurably over the course of the next few years because you're going to pay that guy. You're probably going to keep him on the roster for three or four years, even if he doesn't turn out because you're hoping that potential at some point hits. So you're just setting your roster way back. And then obviously the opportunity cost that's missed because you missed on a player that was there that was probably really good and you took a bad player instead of so you also want that guy with a really high floor. And to your point, TJ Hawkinson definitely seems to be that type of player as well. Absolutely. So let me get kind of a little bit of your draft analytic thought here. So one of the arguments against taking a Noah Fant or a TJ Hawkinson in the top 12, or maybe even in the first round, is that the top tight ends in the draft haven't exactly you know turn you know set the world on fire uh, over the course of the past five six years so if you look at 2018 first tight end picked of course was to your Ravens Hayden Hurst at 25 and then Mike Gesicki and Dallas Goddard was were both picked in the top 50 at 42 and 49 respectively uh, in 2017 you did have OJ Howard at 19 who's turned out well so far Evan Ingram at 23 David Njoku at 29. Um, you know, there were some first round picks and they all seemed to be pretty solid, but nobody in the top 15, even when you had a really great prospect in OJ Howard on the board, Hunter Henry went 35 the year before that. The year before that, the top tight end drafted was also by your Ravens with Max Williams at pick 55. The last tight end to go in the top 15 was Eric Ebron at 10. Um, and of course, he really didn't do any. No, I shouldn't say anything, but he didn't turn out like a top 10 pick, certainly in Detroit. Started to show signs last year when he went to Indianapolis. And a lot of tight ends don't really start kicking in until they get to their second contract, which is what we saw out of Eric Ebron last year. Uh, Tyler Eifert was the year before that at pick 21. A uh, really high prospect who had a good career before injuries, but again, not a top 15 pick Meanwhile, the successful tight ends in the league, Travis Kelsey picked sixty three, Jordan Reed pick eighty-five, Zach Ertz pick thirty-five, Gronk, of course, before he retired, pick forty-two, Jimmy Graham picked ninety-five, and the aforementioned George Kittle pick one hundred and forty-six. So and maybe an argument could be made to say, hey, these, these top tight ends, one, the NFL is not valuing valuing them enough to pick them in the top fifteen, but two, Even the ones that are going in the first round, at least over the course of the past six, seven years, haven't really turned out the best. So is there an argument to be made that maybe Green Bay should be looking at tight end later in the draft and trying to hit maybe some more premium positions earlier in the draft?
2: I feel like this tight end class is not that deep. Um, I feel like when you get past like Hawkinson, Irv Smith, and Noah Fant, you're really not going to be getting any game changers in the later rounds. However, I do see your point. I mean, when you look at the past guys like Hayden Hurst, for example, last year, similar blocking to Hawkinson. However, Hawkinson is just way ahead of him as a receiver, in my opinion. So I feel like when you're looking at Hawkinson, he is more balanced than a lot of those tight ends. However, I do see your point. So I feel like if you guys did draft a playmaker at 12, you'll be able to find a guy like Irv Smith at 30 or a guy like – I would I would honestly even say Fant could be available at 30. So I feel like maybe p- picking one at 12 is not what is in your guys' best interest. But I feel like if you do draft Hawkinson – It's all about how you develop him and how you use him. Bill Belichick says it's not about what a guy can't do. It's about seeing what he can do and, you know, putting him in a position to show it. So I feel like if you, whatever tight end you pick, I feel like it could work wonders for you year one. It's just a matter of when you pick him. So I do agree that it is risky. However, I feel like Hawkinson is the most balanced out of anybody. So I feel like if you're going to take a flyer on a tight end prospect, Hawkinson's the one to do it.
1: No, I agree with you there. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, and uh, I've seen this as well, where, you know, some mock drafts have TJ Hawkinson going even before the Packers pick at 12. So there's a chance he's not there. I personally believe he will be there. And I kind of just go back to OJ Howard. He was a pretty complete tight end prospect and he lasted all the way to pick 19. So I think there's a chance he's he's obviously going to have a chance to be there at 12. I think there's a chance he even falls a little bit below that. I I kind of wonder if Green Bay is a little bit in no man's land where pick 12 might be a little bit rich for a tight end and pick 30 might be a little bit late where both Fant and Hawkinson are both gone. So kind of to the point we discussed earlier, maybe they do look to try to get up with a team like Baltimore or maybe they try to get down from pick 12, try to pick up maybe an extra pick and maybe pick Hawkinson or Fant just a little bit later and trying to pick up maybe a, a second round pick as well. So I think both of those could definitely be options also.
2: Yeah, you guys are definitely in a position of flexibility. You guys have a lot of options, which is really good.
1: Love to see it. And uh will be interesting to see. Something just tells me, and I think a lot of Packer fans are on the same page, that either Hawkinson or fans are going to be in Green Bay with, with pick 44, pick 30, pick 12. And like you said, all that flexibility and all the need at tight end and what it could potentially do for Matt Lafleur's offense. It just feels like one of them will end up in Green Bay. But We'll definitely see if that ends up being the case or not. Now, Nathan, uh, before I let you go, I really want to get some of your favorite players. I know you've been scouting a lot of the players throughout the draft. Who are some of your favorites that you've evaluated so far?
2: I'm a huge Juwan Taylor fan and everything that he brings to the table as an offensive tackle. You you look at a guy who's 6'5", 3'12". He has really good feet. He's really good. He has mass to him. He, He is really thick in the upper body. He's got tree trunks for legs. He's got long arms. You know he's nimble. He can move to the second level. He has takes really good angles. He can square up opponents. He drive blocks. He knocks them out of the like out of the pick. There's a lot of times on tape where I see him just drive someone out of the frame. You know against really good pass rushers like Josh Allen and Brian Burns, he locked them up pretty well. He has movement skills to contend with Burns' inside counters. Josh Allen couldn't do anything against him. And I think that's where he what separates him in my mind from Jonah Williams. You know when he had trouble with Cleveland Farrell in the national title game. And Montez Sweat gave Jonah Williams some trouble because of his lack of length. So I really, when you're looking at Jawan Taylor, he's got really good feet. He's got a finisher's mentality. He's really good in space. And I feel like he'll lock up that right side of your offensive line for 10 years. And He's just my kind of player. Uh, Hawkinson's one of my favorites just because I like that nasty demeanor that he brings. And his well-rounded skill set. I'd say overall, those are my big two right now. And I definitely have a lot of room for that to change, but... You know, I like well-rounded prospects with nasty demeanors and just the the ability to knock people off the frame. And I feel like those two do that.
1: Love it. True football players, to say the least. I love both prospects as well. On the flip side, anyone that you've kind of watched throughout this process that's maybe touted as a top, you know, 15 or 30 guy that you're just like, you know what? Not my cup of tea.
2: Well, I wouldn't say this person's not my cup of tea, but I feel like he's going to get drafted a little bit later than, I mean, I feel like he's going to get drafted a little bit earlier than I would like him to. And I'd say that's Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma. You know, he's a really good football player. Do not get me wrong in that sense. But you're looking at a guy who's 5'9", 166 pounds, just coming off a Liz Frank injury in his foot, which is pretty significant. You know, I'm seeing but even though after his injury, he can still go in the top, like, 20, he can go 22. I've heard to Tennessee – I mean, 19 to Tennessee, excuse me. I feel like, you know, when you're looking at a guy like that, I think you've got to be really careful. And I feel like there's other receiver prospects I would take ahead of him. But, again, if he's fully healthy, you know, and he can bulk up and keep his explosiveness, he's a game-changer – I just feel like there should be some caution when it comes to looking at his draft stock
1: yeah I think caution's the right word there. Maybe our, our uh, first semi disagreement here. I love Marquise Brown. I love Hollywood Brown, but uh, I totally agree with you hundred percent that caution is certainly necessary and I think this is probably one of the ones where uh, if you're an NFL franchise it's kind of probably a little bit out of the scouts hands so much, and it's really going to be uh, really up to the medical staff as well to say one that that Liz Frank injury checks out, two that he's going to come back and recover from it successfully, and then three, really what they feel about his frame because like you said at that height and at that weight uh, you know in this league it's certainly going to be an issue where if he doesn't have the the right bulk and the right makeup uh, he could be a player that experiences a ton of injuries throughout the course of time in his career but love the player absolutely love the player think he can be a dynamic playmaker but like you said uh, certainly proceed with caution
2: no don't get me wrong I love him as a football player I do you know he you can give him the ball's hands on a little drag route he'll break it for a touchdown he's a really really good football player I just get worried off of injuries because, you know, you've seen players like Corey Davis, who was hurt going into the draft stock, and then he did, had was injured for most of his first year. I just worry about injury. But like as a football player and fully healthy, game-breaking potential, possibly the next Deshaun Jackson, that was my comp for him in my notes. You know, he's a really good football player. I just think, you know, when you have a guy like that, you just got to proceed with caution, like you said.
1: 100% agree. You bring up a really great point with Corey Davis. and I just It always seems to me, I've always wanted to kind of go back and track this, I always feel like guys who miss significant time in their very first year just never really recover the way that teams expect them to or hope that they do. Uh, I think a big one that always stands out, Dante Fowler, who, you know, of course, he was healthy coming out of the draft. And then I think it was like the first rookie minicamp, you know, for his ACL. Uh, But you see players like that all the time who have that type of injury and just never really fully recover from it the way teams hope. So I think you bring up a really great point there. All right, Nathan, thanks so much for joining me. Where can our listeners follow you on social media?
2: Uh, at Nathan Papandrea on Twitter. That's the main social media that I use. Go ahead and follow. I appreciate you having me here today. It was great talking football with you. And I uh, hope to keep in touch.
1: Yeah, we'll absolutely have to do it again sometime. Any last thoughts on the draft that you want to share before I let you go today?
2: I'm just really looking forward to it. and I hope you guys strike big on your two picks. Go Packers.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. Good luck to your Ravens as well. Uh, Again, Nathan, thank you so much. This was so enjoyable. You have an incredibly bright future ahead of you. I'm excited to uh, watch with keen interest to see exactly how far you take it Uh, to think that you're already being able to break down players like this at age 16 is really, really incredible. And like I said, at the onset, very jealous of how advanced you are at such a young age. So congratulations on that and definitely keep going. And like I said, you've got a very bright
2: future ahead of you. I appreciate you, man. You bet.
1: All right. So make sure to join us tomorrow as Jake Morley and Ross Uglum continue to break down the draft. They'll have a full breakdown tomorrow of Old Miss wide receiver DK Metcalf. A huge thank you to Nathan Papandrea for joining me tonight. Make sure to again, follow him on Twitter at Nathan Papandrea. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-P-A-P-A-N-D-R-E-A. Correct, Nathan? Yes, sir. All right, perfect. Uh, of course, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for joining me today. But until next time, and as always, go, Pack, go.
0: One kick away from the NFC Championship game from the 41. Left half spot, 51 yard, Good goal attempt, snap, placement, kick to the upright. Hit-
1: Backers.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine,